If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Philippians chapter 3. And let's start in verse 17 as we finished up last week with not that Paul had already achieved this or obtained this, but he was still pressing on toward the goal of the upper call of Christ Jesus, that he was not yet perfect in the Lord, but he was still striving towards it. And so here we find ourselves in the third chapter of Philippians, verse 17. Let's read it together and see where the Lord takes us. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I am, have often told you and now, walk, now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, there's some weighty verses. So we need your help. Where we don't want to read and, and listen and, and walk out of here unchanged. We want to be different because of the text and because of the songs that we've sung, the prayers that we've prayed, we don't want this to be a, a routine or a, an activity that we check off a list, Lord. We want to come here to reset our affections and our gaze squarely on your face. So help us. Lord, turn our hearts to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, the first thing that we see on our outlines, if you have those with you, is who are we imitating? Who are you imitating? Who am I imitating? Who are we as a church? Who are you as a family? Who are you imitating? As you come to this passage, you see verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, at first glance, this peer appears a little bit, I don't know, prideful of Paul, if I were to walk up here and say, hey, brothers and sisters in the church, follow me. Follow Mark. I got this thing figured out. I know how to do it. I know how to raise kids and walk the Christian life. I've got it all figured out. Probably say that's a little bit, uh, a little bit prideful there, buddy. But Paul here, if we take it in context of what we've just read in the preceding passages in verses 12 through 16 and what we talked about the entirety of last week is that Paul says that he has not yet already achieved it, that he is still pressing on toward the goal, that he is still working out his salvation with fear and trembling, that he is still striving on toward perfection, that he has not yet arrived. Paul is clear to say that he has not yet made it. He's clear to confess who he is and his need of Jesus over and over and over and over again. I mean, in essence, he's telling us that he has not yet made it and that he needs Jesus. And on your outlines there, you'll see 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that is usually always implied in Paul's example of eliciting, of saying, follow me. You see on your outline, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, this isn't Paul saying, hey, join in following me because I got all my ducks in a row and I got the answers. 
Join in imitating me because I know what I'm doing. Paul is saying, join in imitating me because I am trying to follow Jesus. My goal is that if you look at me, you see a reflection of Jesus in the world. I mean, this is really the goal of the Christian faith, that we would set an example. Paul, throughout the Christian text, always says, be an example. You think about when he writes to 1 Timothy, and he says, set an example in speech and life and faith and conduct. Be an example setter. Set the example for other believers to follow. See, it's helpful for us in the Christian faith to read it, but also see examples of the faith lived out. See, this is why God has rigged the church into our favor. That as we come together and we read the scripture, we talk about it, and then I get to see, you get to see examples of it lived out all across the faith family. This is why we live in community with one another, because we need to see God's word lived out amongst other people. It's good for us to see what it looks like for God's word to be lived out in the daily minutia of life. I mean, think about how you learn to do most of the things that you learn how to do. For those of you that are incredible bakers, I would argue that many of you probably learn by watching somebody else. That there's a recipe card that you got, but there's something about watching your mom or your grandmother cook that pound cake that you learned all those little things about when to put it in there and how long to let it sit and how long to let it bake. There's something interesting about watching your mom or your grandmother, your dad or your granddad cook, right? That made what was on a recipe card come alive, that you could see it. And when that thing was pulled out of the oven, it seemed to all make sense and click in your minds. I learned how to throw a baseball not by reading it in a book that was helpful, but watching my dad throw a ball to me time and time again and sitting in the backyard when I would do something wrong, he'd say, hey, try to raise up your arm a little bit or throw it. And that's what it looks like for us, that we read God's word, we let it soak into our hearts, but then we watch other people's example of what it looks like, good examples of what it looks like. Now hear me say very clearly that other people's example of what they apply to God's word is not the primary, that we always go back to God's word, but it is helpful for us to see examples of God's word lived out. Friends, can I, can I tell you that right now in my life, as a father of three kids and as a husband to a wife with three kids, do you know what I need to see from other men in this church? Godly men need to walk and show me what it looks like to raise three kids in a godly home. And do you know that I'm watching? Do you know that I'm asking lots of questions? Goodness, a lot of questions. I need to see examples of what it looks like to raise kids in this world from examples of godly men. And thank the Lord that we have them in this church. So we need to watch each other's examples. I need to see what it looks like and ask questions and observe what it looks like for you to live out Scripture in your homes, in your jobs, in your families. And so when Paul says, join in imitating me, friends, you and I, we need to set examples of what it means to follow the Lord in our context, but we also need to watch good examples. And you see over and over and over again in Scripture, Paul writes to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, how you talk, in conduct, how you live, in love, in faith, and in purity. It goes on in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. And you become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit 
so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. It's how good it is that when we walk through the life's ups and downs, as we walk through valleys and mountaintops, as we walk through hardships and struggles, as we face things that we maybe have not faced before, as we face challenges that we're not maybe privy to all the world's wisdom to, that we walk and we're able to see examples of godliness and faithfulness all around us. But also, we set an example. That as you walk in this world, you set an example where if people see you, they see Jesus. At your work sites, at your school, at your home, when people look at you, do they see Jesus so radiating from your life that they can't help to see that there's something different about the way that you carry yourself, about the way that you talk, about your conduct and integrity? Is there something so radically different about the way that you carry yourself that they see Jesus in you and want to imitate your example? And I get that this is not an easy task. None of us probably would stand up here today and say, hey, y'all just follow me, right? No, nobody is, is like that to say, just follow me. But what you see in Paul is, hey, I am an imperfect example. I need grace. I, got, I need God's grace in my life. And together, we'll follow the Lord together. You look at Jesus. He said, follow me. Watch me. C come and see. Come and see what I do. I invite you along into this journey. So friends, maybe there are seasons that we need to invite people to come alongside us, to walk with us, to, to see what life looks like, and to admit our failures and our shortcomings, to say that we are not perfect, that we are imperfect people, but we are following a perfect Lord, and we are setting our eyes on Jesus for all the problems and ills that we see. So I'll ask you an important question. Who are you imitating? Are you imitating the world's ebbs and flows? Are you imitating cultural trends? Are you imitating the greatest and latest thing that you've seen on TV? Are you imitating what you've seen all around you in culture? culture? Are you imitating the great examples that we have of faithfulness in Scripture and across the landscape of our faith family? Again, let me implore you. This is why we set up Bible fellowship groups that you would study God's word together and then you would observe and ask questions and you would learn as iron sharpens iron. You would sharpen each other as you walk in the world around you. Students, as you're in college and high school, that you would talk to each other about what it looks like to live out your faith in seventh grade. In ninth grade and senior year in college that we would sharpen one another as we follow the Lord together. So I ask you again, who, who are we imitating? And what example are we setting? So Paul's going to flip this coin. I would ask you just to look in your Bibles at this key word he says. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is not just including himself in this example. He's saying, watch those who walk according to the way. Watch them. Those people in the church who are doing the right thing, watch them walk it out. The implied thing is not the ones that just say the right things, but are doing it, who are walking it out, which is always far more difficult to watch those who are walking it out and living it out rather than those who just give lip service to the gospel. As Paul says that there's, there's another way here. This is where the scripture turns heavy. Paul says in verse 18, for many... For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, 
It says they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. And their mind set on earthly things. So you go that there's an example that's to be said of those who are walking according to godliness. And now there's those who are walking to their own destruction. I want you to see here, this, this is incredibly telling about Paul. Paul says, now I tell you, even with tears, that there are those who walk as enemies of the cross. And friends, this has hit like a ton of bricks this week. If I'm honest, this particular passage where Paul says, with tears in his eyes, there are those who walk according to the, as enemies of the cross. And so I'll tell you right here, the second thing on your outline is grief over lostness. Friends, as we reflect over Paul's existence in Philippians, where, where is he? Paul is riding under house arrest where he is not sure what the outcome of his trial is going to be. Paul doesn't know what tomorrow holds. Paul doesn't know if they're going to come in and say, hey, trial came up, you are to be terminated. Or you're going to be released, or you're going to be uh, lashed, or you're going to be beaten. Paul, Paul didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. He didn't know if his life was going to be extended past the next day. But what have you seen? This is why it's good for us to read these passages in the midst of the context of Philippians. What have you seen throughout the book of Philippians? Is Paul ever concerned about his own well-being? I mean, you see the very first verse in Philippians, Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus, that we are here to lay down our lives for others. We see a guy who's saying, don't grumble about anything, but set an example. He's saying, even in his imprisonment to advance the gospel, at no point has Paul ever said, woe is me. At no point do you see grief over his own circumstances or complaining about his own circumstances. And here in Philippians 3, you see Paul's grief is not over his circumstance, but there are lost people around him with tears in his eyes, with a longing in his heart. Not over, am I going to make it through the weekend? Am I going to make it out of prison? With tears in his eyes over people whose end is destruction. Do you feel Paul's grief here? Do you feel it? That there's tears in his eyes, that there are lost around him, that there are people who are dying and will go to hell around him and in Philippi. And so let's just look at these four quick things. One, you see Paul say with tears in, her, in his eyes that their end is destruction. As they walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be doomy and gloomy this morning, but it's a reality that Paul gives us, that the people who walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, friends. We don't write this off and say, well, they just didn't know the Lord. Friends, they, they're dying and going to hell. Their end is destruction. And so Paul's not gloating over that, saying, but the enemies, they're going to hell. This is good. Paul is weeping and, and mourning over the fact that there are people dying and going to hell. His heart is tuned to affliction because people are dying without Jesus and have turned their back upon the Lord. So friends, our enemies, both in our people who have turned their back on the Lord, 
People who don't know the Lord, our enemies in other countries, we don't gloat over the fact that they are lost. We are dying to get them to know the Lord. That's why we go. That's why we share. That's why we tell. That's why we send money to the International Mission Board and through NAM so that people would go out as missionaries and share the gospel. That's why missions is extremely important to the fabric of this church because we don't want people to die apart from Jesus. Friends, how quickly do we get grumbly? and frustrated and complaining about all the ills that we see about us. And friends, there's a lot of things that we can complain about. And friends, things that are even warranted in our souls, hard things that we walk through. And I'm not discounting that by any stretch of the imagination. But what we see in Paul is a deep-seated grief over lostness. That if I'm honest with myself, at times... I don't grieve the lostness that's around me. I don't hurt the same way I see Paul hurt. Friends, that hurts me to even feel that, that at times I don't look at the people around me and say, I hope that they know the Lord and I want to do everything in my power to tell them and love them and show them Jesus. Their end is destruction. And and then it says what I think we are well aware of, their God is their belly. What a terrible thing to be your God. But as we're aware of what Paul is trying to get across, that we live in a culture whose God is their belly. Who whatever they want, whatever appetite, whatever thing in their heart that they want, they go out and try to fill it. If it's wealth, we go out and we run and try to get our hearts and our bellies filled with wealth. If it's pleasure, we do everything that we can get to make ourselves happy and to insulate ourselves from pain and hurts. Friends, we are right smack dab in the middle of a culture that's God as their belly. And at times we can feel ourselves falling in line with this to say, yes, I just want to insulate myself from the pain and the hurts that I feel. And so we pacify ourselves on so many things and we fill our hearts with things that only Jesus can satisfy. Romans 1 28 through 32 gives us a, a picture of what Paul's talking about. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, And since they had turned their back on the Lord, since they have walking as enemies of the cross, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and unbelieving type things. Then hear this next one, as they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. Romans 1 continues and says, though that they did not Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only did them, but they gave approval to those who did them. They're glorying in their shame. The things that they should be embarrassed about, we're glorying in. Because again, we're living in a culture, in a world which glories in things that should be shameful. And friends, for us as believers, when we come into contact with the Lord Jesus, as we grow in the grace of the Lord, we don't glory in sin, we repent of it. It's a hallmark of our faith, is that we come in contact with the Lord, as we trust in Jesus, as we come into contact with God's word day in and day out, as we read it and apply it, we are recognizing our own sin, and we don't glory in it, we repent of it. We're not even passive about it, we repent of it. And so if you wonder today, am I walking as an enemy of the cross? Ask yourself, are you glorying in sin? Are you glorying in shame? Are you repenting of it? And Paul's last thing is this. 
He says, with minds set on earthly things. So we've got their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory and their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. Friends, those who are not thinking long term, whose end is destruction, think about what is here and now on on the temporary rather than the eternal. See, Paul is going to give an alternative. Romans, or excuse me, Philippians 3, verse 20, gives us this great word. He's gone through these difficult things, but their glory is in their shame, they're into destruction, and all this looks bad and bleak, but then you get to verse 20, but, it's a good one here, but our citizenship is in heaven. But there is another way. There is an eternal alternative to all these things. Our citizenship is in heaven. Thank the Lord. And friends, that is not something that is coming for us who are in Christ. That's not something that one day we'll be citizens of heaven. Friends, right now we are citizens of heaven. Right now. And I know we're not there. We're not walking the streets of gold and everything has gone away and everything is perfect. But we are now citizens of heaven. What does that mean? Well, several years ago, I took an incredible trip to Cuba, as I've shared with you before, this wonderful mission trip to Cuba in which we were not on American soil. You may not know that, right? Cuba is not American. So as I'm flying over and as we're touching ground and as we're doing work over there, and it's an incredible week, do you know that my citizenship was still as a United States citizen? Even though I was not on the soil of America, my citizenship was still as an American And in the same way, as you walk the streets of America and as you are an American citizen, enjoying all the fruit that comes from that, that we can join in and assemble together and pray together whenever we want to, our citizenship remains in heaven. That's why we fix our eyes on earthly things, our heavenly things. That's why we don't do, as it says, with mindset on earthly things. We set our eyes on eternal things. We are eternally focused people. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Friends, I want to remind you this morning that your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. So set your minds on things that are above, not on things that will pass and fade away. This week I was reading the story of Pearl Good. I don't know if you've heard of Pearl Good before, but her story captivated me deeply. You're talking about setting our eyes on things that are above or in God's economy, things that may not make sense on earth. Pearl was a widowed nurse in her mid-60s living out in California. And she got wind of the Billy Graham rallies, and she went out to that first tent meeting of Billy Graham, and she sat there and was just, her heart was moved to grief at the lostness that was around her. She sat and watched people flood the altar and see lost people just flooding up through these tents, and her heart was just moved to tears. So for the next 20 years, for the next 20 years, she scraped together every penny that she could and took a Greyhound bus to every location that Billy Graham preached his rallies, and she checked into a motel under the radar, not telling anybody, and all night she would pray, all night. She would pray for the rally. She would pray for Billy Graham. She would pray for the lost around her under the radar. Nobody knew about Pearl. Nobody knew what she was doing. She traveled 50,000 miles by Greyhound bus to location, to location, to location, to location, praying through the night, overnight, there on that little unknown motel room wherever Billy Graham was. 20 years. 
Until she got too old and infirmed to travel by Greyhound bus, she would call and get the list of all the places Billy Graham was going to be in the Times. And she would get down off her rocking chair and she would get on her knees and she would pray and pray and pray and pray. When Billy Graham found out what Pearl was doing after all those years, he attributed all the good things that happened, all the people that were saved to the people like Pearl who got on their knees and prayed. That's an example that I want to follow. Friends, we live in a culture that gives us every sort of example to follow. Say, this person, you need to follow them. They seem to have it going on. But the people who are like Pearl, who day in and day out have their eyes so focused on Jesus and eternal things that they do whatever it takes to trust and obey and lift up and magnify the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we need you. And I pray our hearts are stirred by these passages. I pray that our hearts are stirred to grief over the loss that are around us. Lord, that we wouldn't be okay with lostness. Lord, that we would provide an alternative by the way that we live our lives. That as we set our gaze and affections on heavenly things, as we, as we run this race with endurance, that as people look to us to see what it means to follow Jesus, they would see people who are taken by the gospel, who have a peace that surpasses all understanding, who have hope beyond hope beyond hope in what is to come. So Lord, help us when we fall short. Let us be our lives, let our lives be a radiant example. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You see on the bottom of your outline to remember this key point. As Paul reminded us as we talked about grumbling, he said, shine as bright lights in our world. It's our final take-home point this morning, that we shine as beautiful, brilliant examples in the world that he has placed us. Friends, as we come to this time of invitation, as Ed comes to lead us, this is an invitation. As I shared the past few weeks, we are inviting you to respond to how the Lord's leading you. Maybe there's something on your heart. Maybe there's something stirring in your soul, and you need to text that number and let, let somebody know. For those of you who are watching at home right now, maybe the Lord is working in your heart. Maybe you have a prayer need or a prayer request. Maybe there's something stirring deep inside of you. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to come to know the Lord. Call that number right now. There's a minister right there standing by. would love to talk to you and receive you and help you. For those of you in the church this morning, if you need to talk to somebody, know I'll be here at the front to receive you. There'll be ministers in your Bible fellowship classes. There'll be a Bible fellowship class that you can ask questions of and walk through this journey of life together. But as we sing this song, maybe you need to stand where you are and just ask the Lord to work in your heart, to reveal things that should not be there so that when we leave this place, we are different than when we came in. Would you stand and would you sing with us?